Thank you so much. How's everyone doing today? Been a long time. I had to jiggle, juggle the schedule with uh, Brian and Dwight, so I know I, it was about a couple of months ago I taught back to back to back, and now I had a big recess, and I feel like I'm coming back after two or three years. But uh, it's really good to be back. I really missed you all. And uh, what a great opportunity we have to open up God's Word today. It is Mother's Day. Um, we're going to talk about the tongue today. Uh, we're going to talk about it in a negative sense. We're also going to talk, uh, talk about it in a positive sense. Uh, and we'll get to it. But we uh, really are thankful for moms, um, not only for the way that, for those of you who are married, not only for the way that they encourage husbands, but for the way that they are rearing uh, children. And, um, you know, being married for 42 years, the backbone of our family was Patty. And, you know, I was gone. I, I, I added up the amount of time I was gone over a military career, and it, it, at least three or four years where I wasn't physically with our family. And, and, and that just accentuates, I think, the importance of a, of a strong, um, biblical, uh, godly woman and, and the contribution that she has to not only her husband but her family. And, and I'll, I'll allude to that when we're in our study today when we're talking about the tongue. Also, I would like to put in an advertisement next Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be meeting with anyone interested in wanting to be with um, the, the Harvest Assisted uh, Living Memory Care. We're going to start a, uh, a Sunday afternoon service at 1.30. Um, and, and it'll go for about 45 minutes, just songs and then time in the Word. Uh, that facility is over by uh, Home Depot in Roanoke. And presently, they have no one there that's actually dispensing the word. And so we have an opportunity to be the, 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 the dispensers of word and keep some of the other groups out. So I really like, if you're interested, you want to know more information about it, if you come to that meeting next week before church at 5 o'clock in here. Let's go ahead and uh, open up our, our uh, Bibles today. We are going to be doing... Um, a lot of reading in Proverbs, and so you might want to have it open and ready to go. Uh, it's my intent to get as many of these verses covered as I can, um, but it's, I think it'll really bless you the way that uh, the material has been, been organized. Uh, the, the topic today is pursuing sanctification's hold on, on us as believers in Christ. Um, tamed and misdirected speech is, um, is really the focus, or tamed and misdirected heart, because we can talk superficially about taming the tongue, but uh, more important to that is taming the heart, and, and the solution is going to be something outside of ourselves, and we'll get into that as we, we, we go along. A couple of overarching principles that there's an inseparable connection between the heart, the mind, emotions, and will. And what pours out of the mouth. There's a, there's a cable and they are connected. Um, and that includes Facebook posts, messaging, Twittering. Um, because we have the ability now to be much more um, vocal in our expressions. And before we hit send, uh, we really do need to be careful what we're, what we're communicating, especially on the open internet. Uh, so let's get ahead and get into the introduction. The, 
One person said it this way, the mind holds a multi-layered relationship with language, which takes as well as displays desperate strata of meaning and significance. There's a a connection, and and we need to understand what that connection is. Um, I like this quote, speech is the outward embodiment of what's internal in the human heart. And then I kind of defined, I took a definition and kind of shaped it to the next thing. Through one speech, the heart emerges ex- uh, externally from within the body and is introduced to and understood by the outer world. So we communicate. We are communication vessels. And what comes out of our mouth is, is, is connected to our mind, emotion, and will. Uh, if we go to Psalm 19, I told you to start in Proverbs, but let's go to 19. Yeah, definitely a creation um, chapter, especially the first six verses, but I want to focus on the last of the verses. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Precepts of the Lord are right. Commandment of the Lord is pure. And then he talks about the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let these things not rule over me or us. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression." Notice how we're talking about commandments, law, precepts, fear of the Lord. All of these things are mind-shaping, mind-shaping efforts on our part, getting into the Word, meditating, and all of these things. But look at what the, the outcome is. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight. Again, another passage in the Word that connects the mind to, 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 to the mouth. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 begins with declaring the great creation, but yet we can't know God in in just looking at the creation. We need to open up his word, and it does a transforming effect on, on us. So as awesome as creation is, it pales compared to the precious words that are found in Scripture. So, Solomon really, um, well, actually David in this passage underscores the, the, the contrast between what we find in creation and what we find precisely and clearly in knowing God um, through, through his word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. That word acceptable, if you want to underline it, is the same term associated with sacrifices brought to the altar you know, our, our mouth, our meditation is, is, is a sacrifice that we bring before the altar. This is what MacArthur said of Psalm 19. David asked for grace and enablement as he laid his lip and life sacrifices on the altar. Lip and life sacrifices on the altar. Joshua 1.8, he takes the same approach. Let the the uh, book of this law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on day and night, that you may be careful to do according all that is written. It shall not depart from what? 
in your mouth. See the connection between the mouth and the word, you know, which, which really leads us to certain implications right off the bat. I guess the question is, is how, how much are we spending in the word each day? How, how, how much, and I'm, I'm directing this toward me, how much am I meditating in God's word? Because if we get that today, if that's the one thing that we get when we walk out of here today going to the worship center that, of that connection, then I think it's gonna serve to, to, to end, to, for us to understand that um, that is a critical critical area in our life, that, that, that link, and we need to bathe it and pay, and pay attention to it and nurse it each and every day. Tamed and misdirected speech, conditioned on a tamed or untamed heart. Basically, words matter. Words have power. Words build up. Words edify Words also have severe consequences, and you've all experienced that. You all wish that you could take back what you sent on an email, right? You hit hit send, you go, oh, oh, no, 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 no. From the first chapter of Genesis all the way to Revelation, words have a positive or negative consequence. The Bible begins with words. God speaks creation into existence. He speaks creation into existence with no pre-existing materials. And I'm not going to turn this into a creation discussion, so don't worry. For those of you who know me, I work at ICR. God instructs Adam and Eve with words. Satan uses words to corrupt the pure words of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ is referred to what? The Word. The Word. God's Word took on flesh and walked with us. So that we could see and we could hear the words communicated by Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord has directed us today to see what his precious word says about speech and communication. And I'm the one that's going to give it. So that, that's kind of a sign to you that God wants me to hear these words. Because I need to really shape the way I communicate with you and with others. Right? Because this isn't just by accident that I'm teaching today. And it's not Brian and Dwight ganging up and says, Chaz needs that lesson, so we'll give him this this lesson to teach today. Or is it? (laughs) Um, Let's ask ourselves some some questions about speech and communication. How important is speech? Well, you know, um, I started counting, uh, and it took me a long time, and I probably shouldn't have spent all this time, but we have different themes in Proverbs, blessing, favor, creation, uh, evildoers, fear of the Lord, God, Lord, and, and it's mentioned a number of times in, in the book of Proverbs. And so here are the mentions, uh, blessing, 22 references, creation, three references, God and Lord, 86 references, right? Well, I added to that, um, um, uh, how about uh, God's word, life and death, prayer and sacrifice, righteousness, justice. These are all the times that there are sections in Proverbs that mention these these subjects, and please don't hold me to the exact number. I was just trying to go through and read through again and again and again and figure out how many references. I also did have some help from Richard Mayhew in Practicing Proverbs. This is an excellent book if you just want to get into hot Proverbs even more. I love this book, and um, I got some, of, some help from uh, Dr. Mayhew. Well, you go on. Uh, wickedness, alcohol, anger, foolishness, greed. 
Look at all the different references. I mean, look at that. 80 for, for, for foolishness. And, and, and we have God and Lord. So those are kind of the, the more um, uh, themes that are repeated over and over again. And did it again. Heart, pride. How about wisdom? 86 references to wisdom. I'm making a point. I'm not getting, you know, well, let's close this session now and you can go back to worship. No, there's a, there's a purpose. Because when you look at tongue, words, and listening, there's 134 references in the book of Proverbs alone. Do you think Solomon is trying to, through the control of the Holy Spirit, tell us something about how important the tongue is? And, and it's just an incredible just act. And that's, I was just kind of wondering what the, what the number was. And actually, I was quite surprised. I thought wisdom would beat out um, on this subject, but it doesn't. This beats out all the subjects. In the Syrac, which is um, an apocryphal book in the Old Testament, uh, it's like the book of Proverbs. And when a sieve is shaken, the husk appear, uh, so do one's faults when one speaks. Now, this isn't inspired, but, the, but it's wisdom, and it's, it's true. Uh, for praise no one before he speaks. Why? Uh, for it is then, when they open their mouths and speak, that people are tested. Isn't that profound? Isn't that true? You know, even wars start with uh, careless words. The pig war. Yeah, there's a pig war. It, how many people know about the pig war? Come on, historians. Okay. <laughs> it was uh, the pig war because there was an argument over a slaughtered swine... And it led to a, a full-scale conflict between the United States and Great Britain. You know, we should have a coin that has a pig on it, right? The controversy began in 1859 in San Juan Island, a chunk of land uh, over there by Vancouver. And at that time, the island was home to American settlers and British employees. So there was an American farmer named Lyman Cutler. He gunned down a British-owned black boar. Shame on him, right? After he discovered the animal rooting through his potato patch. If I had a Glock, I would do the same thing. Potatoes were important then, right? Well, there was an ensuing argument between this guy and the British worker, and it just got worse. And where you could just imagine it. You shot my boar. You know, my boar. So the uh, argument over the dead pig increased tensions between the two groups of settlers, and, and Cutler was eventually threatened with arrest for, 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 for killing a hog. Uh, hopefully there's no PETA members in this room right now. And after the Americans reported the incident to the military, the U.S. Army dispatched Captain George Pickett. No kidding. A Civil War hero, this is one of his early assignments, yeah? Uh, I'm not going to write this one down on my resume. I fought the pig war. He's a Confederate general during Civil War. So Pickett upped the ante by declaring the whole island U.S. property. So it started with the, the shooting of a pig and an argument, and now we have this major, major tension between the United States and Britain. And, of course, Pickett, this general, comes in and he says, we're going to annex this whole area and call it U.S. territory. And the British responded by sending a fleet of heavily armed naval vessels to the coastline. This is no easy task. We're talking from Britain. 
or if they were already in the United States. Anyway, that's a, that's a long way. An absurd standoff ensued, and the situation remained a knife edge for several agonizing weeks. Two nations finally negotiated a deal. Um, they allowed for joint military occupation of San Juan Island, ending the pig war as a bloodless stalemate. Well, there was one casualty, <laughs> and if you've been paying attention, an unfortunate hog. You know, some of the most common sins we commit are related to the tongue. Gossip, idle chatter, lies, exaggeration, harsh attack, and just uh, uncharitable remarks that we make between each other. You know, words start wars, and words end wars. Uh, they create a love, right, when you affectionately talk to someone, and they can also choke love out, right? They cause men and women to risk their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. You know, our world really rests on the power of words, but more importantly, uh, it rests on the heart that controls those words. I just wanted to insert this one slide. I showed it a couple of weeks ago uh, concerning anger. But um, the beginning of strife is like letting out of water, so stop before the quarrel breaks out. And there's an association between anger, right, and, and, and using your mouth the wrong way. And this was the, the dam of water that Mulholland built um, in Southern California up above Santa Clarita. Unfortunately, it was on an on a, uh, earthquake um, fault, and the dam gave way, sending billions of gallons of water down the canyon and killing over... 200 or 300 folks while they were sleeping at night. It happened like 2 in the morning. The, the point, though, of this illustration is that when we let out a word and a contentious word, there's no way you can get that, that back in, just like there was no way to gather that water back after the storm broke. And James actually makes it even worse. You know, I, this is really convicting stuff. Um, and don't just think this is for elders. I mean, the principle is, is if you're teaching the word, and if you, moms, dads, um, even singles, teaching, leading, discipling, Bible studies, we're all, we all teach. Although it appears to be small and insignificant part of the body, the tongue, and one person referred to it as a two-ounce slab of mucous membrane, capable of doing such damage um, look at that. The whole body. If we, and then, first of all, a couple of illustrations. Notice that if we're able to, the connection between uh, controlling or self-controlling what we say and then controlling the whole body, it comes back to the heart. You see that even in this verse. The tongue, small. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is set among the numbers. Uh, but no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil. See that? No one can tame the tongue. And that's the, the, the other assumption we need to make right off the bat. It, it's going to come out. It, you can hold it down. You can suppress what's deep down inside of you. But somehow, in some way, through gestures and expressions and other ways of communication, that, that's going to get out. And you can't tame it because it's connected to the, the mind and the heart and the emotions. And, and in and of ourselves, the solution is outside of ourselves. Is really what James is saying. Positively, the Lord has used the tongue, tongues of men like George Whitfield to bring about religious revivals. It was said of George Whitfield that he sometimes had over 100,000 people listening to 
his, his pleas. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, there was a, a, a legend that his appeals for money to support the, the orphanages were so effective that habitually tight-fisted Franklin, he would empty his pockets of all his money before he would hear Whitfield preach because he didn't want to give up his money. It's a pretty good tactic, right? And that was a legend. Um, There's another thing, that even when Whitfield would pronounce the word Mesopotamia, that would move people to tears. Uh, none of you are crying right now, so I guess I don't have that gift. Mesopotamia. I don't see anyone crying. You know, this is the last time we're going to be in Proverbs before we begin Ecclesiastes. And hopefully the, the book of Proverbs has been as much as a blessing that it has been for uh, Dwight and Brian and myself. It's just been phenomenal. And the Lord has really gotten under my skin even more with, with uh, teaching through this, the, this book. You know, we're, we'll be guided this morning with a set of questions to help us take these verses and understand them in light of our sanctification. So let's, let's not look at this externally. Well, I better be quiet the next time I'm angry, or I better, you know, this is how I'm going to the end. That's all anecdotal. It's all superficial. We need to address the heart. That's my overall um, assumption. And the second assumption is that we can't control ourselves. We need an external element to do just that, um, the Holy Spirit and God's Word. So what are the Proverbs, and where are they in Scripture? Well, we've, this is kind of a review. Um, he penned over 3,000 uh, Proverbs, Solomon did. Um, it means to be like, uh, the word uh, proverb. It, it takes a profound truth and compares it to common pictures or images in life. And that, all the metaphors and all the illustrations and everything that we've seen. And then we say, oh, wow, I understand that. And we, we take it, we nurse on it, we meditate on it, and we allow the Holy Spirit to take these truths and apply them to our life. Who wrote the Proverbs? When were they written? Of course, King Solomon. Uh, between 970 and 930, um, it was 2,993 years ago. So these things are 3,000 years old. And yet they are living and they are cutting, just as cutting today as they were when they were first penned. He also wrote Psalm 72, um, 127, uh, Song of Solomon, which we're going to do in one day. I wonder who has that assignment. <laughs> Put that on your calendar, right? Uh, and Ecclesiastes, we're going to start Ecclesiastes next week. He was the wisest man of his day, empowered by the Holy Spirit. What's the theme of Proverbs? What's the overall theme is the fear of the Lord, right? And, that, and the fear of the Lord is mentioned 19 times at the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom is mentioned 115 times, but the fear of the Lord, and that's, that's really the portal in which we enter into the, the, the book of Proverbs. That's the portal in which we um, apply the word. In humility, receive the word and plant it. Humility and fear are, go hand in hand. And, and so that's, that's how we enter in. That's how we let these verses marinate and, and, and get under our skin, uh, putting it in that, uh, in that way. Uh, wisdom is the right use of knowledge, but, but if we don't have the fear of the Lord... Um, in that humility of just being, of listening to the Lord, then, then these things are just going to deflect 
right off of us. It'd be like a capsule coming through the atmosphere and it just gets jettisoned right back out into outer space. Uh, To know is not to be wise. Men know a great deal and there's all greater fools for it. Spurgeon. There is no fool so great a fool as knowing fool, but to know how to use knowledge, but to know how to use knowledge, I'll repeat it again, is to have wisdom. It's applying it. So the Proverbs instruct us uh, about uh, life and how do we skillfully manifest God's character and his, and his will in, in how we function each and every day. Here's our book outline. Um, we've gone through so much in Proverbs 1, uh, 19, uh, I mean Proverbs 30, Proverbs 31, the words of Agur, of, of Lemel, and then we're concluding with looking at speech and selected passages. So what's the purpose of Proverbs? It's, it's really that portal. We, we enter into applying these truths through fear and humidity, but there's two things that we really need to do in addition to that, and we need to actually trust in the Lord. Um, so trust God's word as your final authority, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then what's the next verse? Obey God's word as your practical authority. Verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So we have fear of the Lord, humility. We have trusting in God, trusting in his word from Genesis chapter one to the last word in Revelation. Letting the Holy Spirit do that work within us and then obeying. And it fleshing itself out in the way we act and behave or through the things we say or through the interactions that we have with our family. You know, Peter actually picks up the theme and, and, and runs with it as far as Proverbs' purpose. We have, of course, um, you know, Philippians 2.12 that says, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. But, but, but Peter actually, I think, is looking at the entire word of God, Old Testament, and what has been captured in words for the new. And, and he says, uh, since all these things should be destroyed in this way, 2 Peter chapter 3, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So, so really, Peter is saying, what... How should we live? And he says, because of which the heavens are going to be destroyed and and all these things are going to come about, new heavens and new earth. He says, therefore, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace. And that's what Solomon is saying. He says, spotless and blameless. That's what Solomon is saying in Proverbs. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We need to get out there and tell others about Christ because God is being patient. He's not bringing back the new heavens and the new earth and the destruction and the tribulation. That's all future right now so that more and more people will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the elect, if you will. But how, do they, how, how will they get to that point is through us proclaiming the gospel of Christ. That's our role. So Solomon and Paul, by means of the Holy Spirit's inspiration, are instructing us in the same way. You know, and, and, and notice that even in working out your salvation, I'm going to go back to the other one, 
work out your salvation in fear and trembling, right in the same paragraph, look at what I've highlighted. Do all things without what? Grumbling and disputing. So now we have this, this, this sanctification that's going on inside of us, but it flushes out in how negatively we may act or positively, Philippians chapter 4, how we may be honoring our Lord in our speech. You're going to start seeing these connections every time you get in the Word. It's like, oh, here's a verse. Oh, here's a passage. I can't do all that because um, thank you for giving me more time this morning too. So I'm going to take it. Um, we have a lot of territory to cover today. But there, you're going to see that association between what God is doing internally and, and how you flesh that out and what you say. And so you can actually, Chaz can look at it the other way and say, oh, I just said that. Wow, that was awful. So that should immediately draw me to my knees in 1 John 1, 9 and confess my sin because I knew that that comment or that attitude or that action or the way I treated that person verbally came from sin and came through a wicked heart that was not tamed at that particular moment. You know, the Shema... Uh, now, this commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, notice that, that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you. How does a son or daughter um, uh, know about God's commandment? It's through the, the proclamation coming from mom, Mother's Day, and dad, and other family members who are growing in the grace and knowledge um, in the Old Testament of God, Yahweh, or in the New Testament, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, but that's the positive side of things. We encourage people. We, 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 we are used by the Holy Spirit of God to bring their sanctification along as parents, as moms, as dads, when we apply what was required in Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words, they're words. I am commanding you the, the word of God. And, and God spoke the Ten Commandments, right? And he gave them to Moses. Amazing. We already talked about the fear of the Lord. But there are four kinds of people responding to the fear of the Lord. You've seen this slide several times. There's four groups. Where are you today? You know, uh, if you have no fear or, or don't really care about the outcome of your sin, I would beg you today. And you know who you are. Probably not very many people, maybe one or two, I don't know. But, but use this as a, as, a, as a motivation to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, confessing your sin and embracing Christ as your Lord and Savior. What a great opportunity to do this on Mother's Day. And, and, and so that's, that's the first category of people. And then those who fear the consequences of their sin, but they reject God's redemption. They're, they're not gonna have a controlled tongue. They'll, they'll do anecdotal stuff. They may just not say anything, but you can tell by their expressions and their mannerisms that, they're, that, 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 that whole thing is out of control. And then there's a the third camp, people who care about their sin but don't have the right relationship with the Lord. They've gone about it the wrong way. They, they're religious maybe. They go, they go to church on Sunday. Maybe it's a Jehovah Witness or Catholic or whatever, and they had, don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't have Christ as Lord in their lives. They're not a believer. And then, of course, the rest of us, which I know is the majority of you here today, including me, um, we affectionately fear God. We're redeemed, 
and we, we want to minimize sin in our lives. And that's why this applies to us today. And we've already talked about the trust and obey. Ephesians 4 is really good. I, I know that we're going to be in, in Proverbs. And before we get through today, you're going to realize that we really did go through Proverbs. But, but Ephesians 4 is a great New Testament um, solution to helping us control what we say. Uh, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Well, how do I do that? Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Be imitators of God as, beyond, as beloved children. And walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice. And, and, and really Ephesians basically gives us the, the, the solution that as God forgave us, we should forgive those. And, and we do that in the power of meditating on his word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we quench the Holy Spirit, we're actually putting ourselves in a position where we're vulnerable to this thing being out of control. So what does Proverbs say about speech? Wow. Well, let's go. You got your seatbelts on? I think we do. Well, there's a number of verses I would say for those of you here today and also those of you who are going to listen to this message afterwards, all these slides will be online It'll be really hard for you to write down all these, but I want to give us a, just a kaleidoscope of verses which cover uh, the tongue and be thinking really three groupings of people. Positively, we as teachers, right, we, we, our tongue needs to be pure. We need to be communicating God's word, whether to our family, our friends, to those we disciple. So that's one group of people. And, and really, these, these, these Proverbs focus on some of those, some, that, that group. And then we have another group that basically does have their, their tongue tamed, uh, their heart is tamed, and they're living in a righteous way. And, and the Proverbs talks about the benefits that are received when you are speaking positively, when you're speaking um, wise words, when you're speaking and encouraging. All that reaps posit positive results. And then the third group would be those of us sometimes and unbelievers who have untamed tongues and, and, and just the harsh consequences that are associated when you let those words out as little weapons. And, and the Proverbs really tells us the, the impact it has. So those are the three groups. So when we go through this very quickly, um, look at this, Proverbs 2.16. You will be saved from the loose woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. So you have a situation where, you know, hypothetically you're being tempted to sin and it's through words. Well, if you're bathing in God's word, if you are on the throne and confessing your sin and doing the things that God would have us, that's going to deflect the words, those sinful expressions that are not only, you know, person to person, but what we might see online or when we're surfing on the internet or all of the other junk that's out there that can, can actually creep into our houses, um, even when we're not seeking, seeking it. Uh, the Proverbs 2, it will save you from the way of evil. Wisdom 
those, from those who speak perversely. Hmm, that's that other category. How about Proverbs 4, 3 through 5? When I was a son with my father tender and my mother, there's Mother's Day again. You know, hopefully you're the mom that's really encouraging your son, your daughters, and, and, you're, and you're being that mother that, uh, that God is really honoring right here in this verse. And Solomon says, when my mom and dad, when David and Bathsheba taught me and, and said to them, let your heart hold fast my words. They, they spent a long time discipling Solomon so that when God gave him all that wisdom, it was, it was on the bedrock of everything that he had been taught when he was smaller. Don't underestimate the, the impact that you have as moms and dads. And believe me, you may say, oh, it's just going in one ear and out the other. It's not. Uh, with the Holy Spirit's work, that it's getting planted deep. And if those sons and daughters are, are open to God's working in their heart, you are, you are just incredibly going to have incredible hundredfold result, fruitful result in, in the time you invest in, in your children. Proverbs 4, put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk from you. So that's that other class of individuals that are just talking in a perverse way. Put it away. Um, and Proverbs chapter 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear, that, that you may hold on to prudence and your lips may guard knowledge. Isn't that incredible? That association again. And, and how the lips genuflect to what's going on inside. Proverbs 5, 11 through 13. End of your life you will groan. This is someone who doesn't apply wisdom. This is someone who rejects the fear of the Lord. Who doesn't trust and obey. Um, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof and I did not listen to the voice of my teachers. So there's really two groups of people right there, right? We have the person who's rejecting the truth, but then we have people that are intentionally making a difference in your life and they don't care about the consequences. They keep on because they're obeying the word and, they're, and they are loving you even though it's being rejected. And don't lose don't lose. Don't lose hope for people like that that are rejecting. They may be like a thief on the cross, and it might be just hours before they go into eternity when they finally respond to all of the love that you've shown them over those years. Proverbs 6, 1 and 2, My child, if you have given your pledge to your neighbor, if you have bound yourself to another, if you've been ensnared by the utterances of your life, it's just basically don't make a quick quick answer. If someone asks you something, wait on it, stew on it, really think through the biblical implications. That's, that's really a problem that I've had in the past where take the time to answer. Don't, don't just jump into something. Haughty eyes and a lying tongue shed innocent blood. A lying witness who testifies falsely. These are just all, think about our Lord Jesus Christ. Where were the legitimate witnesses that could have testified for him on that early Friday morning? They weren't there, and instead there were these false witnesses. And I understand Christ had to go to the cross. I get it. I understand the problem. But just think, they were gone. It wouldn't have mattered, but they would have had the satisfaction of knowing that they went to defend their Savior when the 70 met on that third Jewish uh, meeting on, on that Friday morning. My child, keep your father's commandment and your mother's teaching. 
bind them on your heart and they will talk with you. Isn't that interesting? We're not supposed to listen to ourselves. We're supposed to talk to ourselves, right? That's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. And, and what do we talk? The word of God. We let the commandments talk to us. You can see how convicting this is. I'm, I'm up here teaching it. And, and, and don't assume that I've mastered this. Each and every day when I wake up, I, I confess to God, God, help me through this day. The, the solution to me behaving righteously is outside of myself. I need your Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve. I don't want to quench your Holy Spirit. I want to get into your word. I want to meditate your word. See what I'm saying? This is an ongoing exercise. This is a marathon. This is pilgrim's progress until God takes us home. Hear, for I will speak noble things from my lips. Remember we spent time in Proverbs 8? This is wisdom. Some people have personified this as Jesus Christ, but I think it's separate. It's wisdom in and of itself. Listen to the collective wisdom of God's word. For my mouth will utter truth, and the words of my mouth are righteousness. There's nothing twisted or crooked in wisdom's call. Proverbs 10, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. But look at the consequence, perverted speech. Proverbs 10, 6, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. I told you I was going to go through these verses. Are we going to go through all 134? Who knows? That's my time. Proverbs 10, 8, the wise of heart will heed commandments but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Does that convict you kind of like it does me? I sometimes like to talk. I don't know, some of you may be surprised with that, especially those in our home group. A babbling fool. Babbling fool, wow. That's convicting. I don't want to be a babbling fool. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Wow, positively, remember? We were talking about the three groups, you know? The, but, but this is, hey, the, do you want to be the mouth of the righteous, a fountain of life? But look at verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife and love covers all fences. See, the, the covering is incredible. Love covers, but, 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 but hatred exposes through gossip and through maligning and through other things of that manner. The lips of one who has understanding Proverbs 10, 13 is found, but the rod is for the back of the one who lacks sense. There's the babbling fool, Proverbs 10, 14. In Proverbs 10, you see some of these have sections. So you could go back to Proverbs 10, and you have through 18 through 21, a whole section. You don't want to take those verses out of context. You want to see how they explain each other. Lying lips, words are many. The tongue of the righteous choice silver, and the lips of the righteous feed many. But fools die for lack of sense. It's interesting. Notice that they die. So a fool is going to actually inflict wounds on himself, and he's going to die. But, but, but the, the lips of the righteous, they feed many. Isn't that incredible? So not only is he blessing himself or herself, but he's feeding and being a blessing to all of those around him. Wow. Um, Proverbs 10, 31 and 32. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, 
but a perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked, you know. One of the things I will tell you, that there's sometimes a need to know. And you don't have to explain something. If someone asks you a question about someone and it's damaging information, they may or may not need to know about that. I was in military intelligence for a number of years, and people would ask me questions all the time about something that was happening with Desert Shield, Desert Storm, or with Saddam Hussein, or whatever. I didn't have to answer the question, and we don't have to answer those questions, especially if we're protecting someone that's maybe in a, in a precarious situation. And we don't want to um, add to the gossip by telling everyone, well, I have a prayer request, I'm going to tell you about Joe. And then you spend the next 10 minutes telling us about Joe and what he did. That's gossip. And, and the need to know. That group doesn't need to know about Joe, except maybe the, the people who really love Joe and say, hey, Joe's having some, some real struggles right now, and I don't want to get into details, but just pray for Joe. See how that's different? Than, than using our, our Christianity and, 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 and our relationships in the body of Christ to tear each other down and, 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 and gossip about information that we really don't need to be gossiping about. I love that, uh, Proverbs 10. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. And I already read that. The blessing of the upright is a city exalted. Just think about that, a city exalted, and then the, the metaphor turns right around, but um, it's overthrown. That same city is, how is it overthrown? By a spark. And this is James 3. You know, let there not be many teachers, because, because with our, our tongue we bless the Lord and we curse, and, and, and a whole city can be destroyed by just the mouth of the wicked. How about this one, verse 12? Whoever belittles another lacks sense, but an intelligent person remains silent. Belittling someone. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder how we can belittle someone in today's culture, in our technologies, in our interactions. I'll let you fill in those blanks. Now, the words of the wicked are a deadly ambush, but the speech of the righteous delivers them. We have our three groups of people. Yeah, I want to be in that camp. I, I want people to know me as someone that encourages, that, that, that basically has that right word at the right time, that I'm not just some babbler. And that's exactly what it's saying. I love the contrast. Even reading through these verses, I hope it has that catharsis on your soul as it has in mine. Words of the wicked are a deadly ambush, but the speech of the upright delivers them. I love that. The evil are ensnared by the transgressions of the lips of the righteous escape from trouble. We go on. Anxiety weighs down the human heart, but a good word cheers it up. Here's that, that third group of people. Don't you want to cheer people up? We have so many people in our congregation right now that are hurting, and, and we need cheerer-uppers. We need people to come alongside and not just send an emoji, you know, and say, um, we're praying for you, but to, to have coffee or dinner or put a meal on the porch and, and really carry the burdens of all the stuff that's going on. And that's what this verse is saying. I want to be a cheerer-upper, if there's such a word in the English. From the fruit of the mouth, one is filled with good things and a Manual labor has its reward. It's comparing. If you work hard in our culture today, you're going to get a lot of money, right? 
And so what it's saying is the same principle goes with your mouth. If you, if you invest uh, in, in others, if you're that person that, that, that is a cheerer-upper, you know, you, you're going to have a great reward, a spiritual reward. Proverbs 13, 2 and 3, the fruit of the words, from the fruit of the words, a good persons are good things. Good, good persons are good, th- um, I'm sorry, eat good things, but the desire of the treacherous is for wrongdoing. Those who guard their mouths preserve their lives. Those who open wide their lips come to ruin. Proverbs 14, 3, the talk of fools. How about a faithful witness, Proverbs 14? How about in all the toil there's profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty? So how are we supposed to act? You know, am I at home living with my parents and I'm playing games all day? Is probably not the best thing for someone who is positioning himself or herself to get married someday. You need to go out there. You need to work. You need to, to make a difference. Get your own apartment and, and, and be able to support a wife. You know, and that's how you should be behaving. And, 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 and yet if you don't, um, you're called a fool. I'm not doing it. It's right here in the word. Uh, a faithful witness saves lives, but one who utters lies is a betrayer. The tongue of the wise dispenses knowledge, Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath. Wow. Whatever is, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but one who has hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer. We did that. Proverbs 15.18, those who are hot-tempered stir up strife. But guess how do you, how do you counter that? What's the, what's the inoculation of, of something that's building up, building up, building up, like in the pig wars? Slow to anger calms contention. People who are really thinking through can, can calm a situation down. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. The mind of one who has understanding seeks knowledge, Proverbs 15. Look at them. These are all in 15. An apt answer is a joy to anyone, and a word in season, how good it is. That was Jackie Gleason, remember? How good it is. But just being able to say the right word. I love the positive part of it. You know, it's easy for us to get all negative, but there's a lot of verses on how we can positively invest in other people's lives. How about the king? How about your boss? How about the president of the United States? Righteous lips are led to the delight of a king, Proverbs 16, 13, and he loves those who speak what is right. Isn't that great? Pleasant speech, pleasant words, sweetness to the soul, Proverbs 16, 28. A whisper separates close friends. You can have the, the, the most intimate relationship with a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, or you know what I'm talking about, just your friends, your, 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 your associates, but, but a whisper, gossip can actually wreck and ruin. And really the antidote to that is when those things are being spread, you need to confront and clarify and, and try to put out these fires, especially it's, if it's relating to someone you know. And those are the things being said about that particular person. 
Proverbs 17, 27. Who spares words is knowledgeable. One who is cool in spirit has understanding. You know, cool, being cool is not a 70s term. Hey, cool, that's cool. It came from here. Do you want to be cool? Well, Solomon is saying if you want to be cool, you know, spare the words that you say and be really thoughtful and intentional and then you can be cool. Isn't that cool? Great. Yeah, I didn't get any laughs. You know, it's, that's supposed to be humor. A fool's lips bring strife, but a fool's mouth invites a flogging. Wow. One gives answer before hearing, Proverbs 18, 13 to 15, and it is folly and shame. The fruit of the mouth, from the fruit of the mouth, one's stomach is satisfied, and the yield of lips brings satisfaction. You see what he's doing? That's what's so cool about poetry. So, you know, you, you eat a really good meal, right? Uh, you know, and, and your stomach is satisfied. I had some, some dear saints took me out to dinner. Um, for the first time, I went to a steakhouse and had this incredible New York um, ribeye steak, or it was just a ribeye steak. It was so good. My stomach, I came home that night and I was satisfied. And you all know the feeling, most of you, if you eat steak. I mean, if you eat chicken, you'll never feel that feeling. <laughs> Chick-fil-A, no, no, Chick-fil-A. No, 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 we want steak. We want real meat. We want those cows to be, anyway, I better not go down there. Don't you want to be satisfied in the things that you say or others to be satisfied through your speech? An ally offended is stronger than a city. Such quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Wow. Those who have good sense are slow to anger. We could go on and on and on. A gossip reveals. See, these are all verses that, that basically rebuke the wicked. Those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. What I get about that, too, is that we should confront the wicked. That we should use our speech to, in a humble way, a, a confront those because they may come to Christ. They may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So silence is not necessarily golden. In, in some respects it is. But when you're being intentional with the gospel or intentional with correcting aberrant behavior because you're concerned about the first person's future, are they going to go to hell or are they a true believer, then you will in grace come to them in humility with the truth so that they will obey as we talked about in our initial portal. These are all verses and they'll be on my slides and I'm... Um, but I went through, we had about, oh, close to 100, and I didn't select them all. And there were other verses on the tongue that weren't included in this list. But you get the point, right? Solomon is, is really telling us that we are in one of three groups. And hopefully we're in that group that we're dispensing truth and we're being open to reacting to certain things. So what are the resources um, that we can actually use. Well, the Bible, of course, and we've done that today, but there's a lot of other good books out there, uh, War of Words by Tripp, Communication and Conflict Resolution by Stuart Scott, excellent book. Um, right, uh, winning the War with Adams, and that's kind of focus on the heart. A Fight to the Death, Mac, and uh, Get Out of My Face, 
a horn is just communication at a, at a teenage level, a brooding anger, Jones. You have the heart of anger by Priolo that I didn't put up there. Uh, I asked Daniel, um, uh, some, one of his, his picks, and he says, Chaz, um, if, if I give you this pick, say, you, know, you don't have to mention my name. So I'm not going to name Daniel's name today. So just to let you know, and you can tell him that. <laughs> but he, he uh, war of words, gospel treason, and uprooting anger are his top three. So that would be my top three too. And implications, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can't harness. Remember, we talked about that initially. No one can tame the tongue. That's what James says. You can't do it. None of this applies to you if Christ is not in your heart or if Christ has not invaded your life. If Christ is not Lord of your life, none of this. You just might as well just shut the Bible and just um, start thinking about what you want to do this afternoon or tomorrow or at work. But, 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 but trust in Christ. Uh, facilitate um, what Solomon is trying to do and, and he's pleading all of us to do can only be done through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ applied individually to your life in, in faith and, and, and repentance. Number two, speech is regulated by the internal working of the Holy Spirit. Principles and safeguards are in place for everyday believer, for every believer. A tamed tongue requires a tamed tongue, and that doesn't make sense. A tamed tongue requires a tamed heart, mind, emotion, and will. Accept and properly plan on the likelihood of being trapped with your untamed tongue. We don't have time right now, but if you were to look at, at Peter, if you were to look at his actions on the night of our Lord's um, you know, confrontation taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. And Peter said, said earlier, remember, I will die with you. That was sincere. He was sincere about dying with Christ. There's nothing in the text to indicate that his intentions weren't good. He even had a sword. Uh, even in that, uh, with these Roman soldiers, what did he do? He pulled a sword. He didn't even know how to use it. And he whacked off the ear of the, the servant. But yet, that shows us that he had the right motive. He, none of the other disciples did, did any of that. And then he kind of flee, flip, he just kind of leaves, right? But then he comes back to the courtyard with John. I mean, all the other guys had forsaken. So Peter was saying, okay, now this is the time. I, I know I ran away and I did this servant thing and the ear didn't work. I was aiming for the head. I'm a bad target, but I'm going to go die with Christ. So I'm going to go back into that courtyard. I'm reading between the lines. None of that's in the scripture. I'm just, his actions kind of betray what his, his sincerity, right? And notice, he was, he was tempted three times. Or actually, he was confronted three times. And, well, I don't know him. And then, I don't know him with an oath. And then, I don't know him curses and he swears. So he has time to think. It was about a four-hour temptation, right? And then he leaves and he repents, and he leaves, and he blows it, but yet during those four hours, he's thinking through this whole thing. He has time to kind of, and he's pridefully just trying to get through this trial and see what he can do in and of himself, just like you and I do when we're, we're confronted with temptation. And the, the solution's outside of ourselves, right? And he learned that later on. He learned that later on. Watch and pray. 
He had an opportunity to watch and pray with his Savior just hours before that. But what was he doing? He hit the alarm. He was sleeping. He didn't get up early. He didn't spend time in the Word. He didn't spend time in prayer. That right there could have been the antidote of a completely different reaction when he was confronted with that trial. I'm personalizing this for you and I. That I really do think pride as opposed to humble. I can do this. I don't need the, I don't need the Lord. All of these things taking effect and keeping him from allowing the word to be implanted. In humility, receive the word implanted. So Peter is actually demonstrating to us exactly on what we shouldn't be doing. So we should properly plan. We should be spending time in God's word. We should be doing the things each and every day, meditating on his work. Now, I understand we're going to fail. We're going we're to mess up, and that's why we have 1 John 1, 9. But yet, over the course of our Christian growth, we can actually grow in these areas of controlling the tongue. And when we blow it, like, just think about Peter. When he blew it the first time, he could have regrouped and said, okay, Lord, I blew it. And he could have confessed his sin of pride and everything so that when he was confronted the second time, and I know this was all prophesied, I know that, I get that, he was going to do all of this, but he's culpable for his actions. And I think Peter learned his lessons. And so when he writes 2 Peter chapter 1, 2, and 3, he's got it. He knows it. And, and, and after he drops the pen down at the end of chapter 3, he's months away from being crucified upside down. What's different about Peter then? The Holy Spirit indwelling him, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, humility, trusting, and obeying. Accept and properly plan. You know, temptation to sin comes in waves, involving a series of sinful compromises and decisions. I think Peter could have, uh, and we, sometimes we sin once, right? And what we say, I'll just throw it in. I'm just going to go ahead and sin the rest of the way in this particular temptation. No, when we sin, go. First John 1, 9. Can it? And um, as my favorite comedian used to say, nip it in the bud. For those of you who don't know who that is, you're going to have to Google it. It's Barney Fife. I'm not trying to make light of this. I just... It's so important for us to nip things in the bud. And I always have Barney Five. Nip it, nip it, nip it in the bud. It's incredible. You actually can go online and they have all the nippets that he ever said in all of his, how many years he was on the Andy Griffith show. But nip it. You know, I would suggest, I, I had a, a general officer, actually he was a POW, um, and, and he, he spoke to us at uh, leadership school at, in Montgomery, Alabama. And he told us that he would, every day, he would read the Proverbs. So what's the date today? It's the 14th. So in the morning, he'd get up and he'd read Psalms. He'd read a whole section of Psalms. He would study, a separate study. But whatever, like Proverbs 14... He would be in Proverbs 14 and read it through and maybe pick out one or two things that were just really speaking to him. I'm not getting charismatic. That were that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him that, that he was sensitized to. But wouldn't that, isn't that a great discipline? It's easy. A chapter a day. On the 15th, you go with 15 Proverbs. Guess what? How many Proverbs are there? How many chapters? Yeah, 31. Do you think that was just by chance? Or do you think... There's intentionality there. I don't know. I've never researched it. Why, why are the 31 chapters of Proverbs and not um, 40? 
You know, why, why, why aren't there only 20 chapters? And how, why does that fit so well to our calendar except leap year or when we only go to 28 days? I don't know. When we're reading and meditating, just think about the, cla- the, the really the, the categories of truth that are being communicated to us by Solomon through the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, their spiritual wisdom. We've talked about this, and, and Dwight and Brian have done just such a fantastic job of, of, of clearly communicating to us what's in Proverbs, but there's spiritual wisdom, there's personal wisdom. Today we've covered those two, haven't we? Just in our speech. But we could be looking at lust, we could be looking at our theology, we could be looking at money, business, we could be looking at the poor. I mean, what, whatever category, there's, there's personal wisdom, family wisdom. I mean, we saw some of those family verses today, didn't we? Moms and dads, and did I remind you all today that it is Mother's Day? And we really appreciate our mothers and our wives and men. I hope, I hope the kids have really are anteing up today and, and expressing that love to, to their mom. And if you don't, if, if you're not married and you're a single woman, or a single man, just think about all the spiritual children you can have right now in mentoring and spending and, and calling and encouraging and being that to, to so many within the body of Christ. We have a lot of hurting young adults and, 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 and kids in our, in our body. What, what are we doing to be spiritual moms and spiritual dads to those folks in the body of Christ? And, and I'm not, I'm looking at me and if I'm too busy to give so-and-so a call or, you know, a young man who's uh, going through basic training, you know, and he's really discouraged, you know, why shouldn't I give him a call and encourage him on the phone? I'm not his dad, but that doesn't matter. I'm his spiritual dad in, in certain respects. Uh, intellectual wisdom, a marketplace of wisdom, and societal wisdom, how we act. This, so if we're reading through the Proverbs every day, a chapter a day, just think, it's going to affect us in all these categories. Wow. I want to um, really cl- conclude with an illustration that is so, so current. And it's in um, the Acts and Facts. And now I'm not going to get creationists on you. We're not talking about creation here, Okay. But um, it's in the latest issue of Acts and Facts. Uh, I will give an advertisement. If not getting this magazine, it's a really good magazine. But anyway, um, there's a lot of trash talk going on in the creation community right now. If you don't agree with a certain premise, then, then there, there are organizations out there that are lambasting those people, singling them out, targeting them, and saying that they're in sin and they shouldn't have that certain belief. We're not talking about things in God's word. We're talking about science, which is changing all the time. So I'm not talking about things that are certain and sealed. I'm not talking about natural selection. I'm not talking about that stuff. But things, fossils, you know, do dinosaurs have feathers? Those types of things that really, they, they, they matter, but they don't matter. They're, they're not there to divide us as, as, as creation. So Dr. Galusa wrote an article and says, come on, guys, we need to come to, to really make a covenant. And this is what he says. Creationists are passionate people by nature. They are? I didn't know that. We have a zeal for biblical and scientific truth that um, is diametrically opposed to the world's thinking. And as creationists, let's covenant together to reject the world's methods and how we express disagreement. 
This, this was long overdue. And he was just getting so frustrated with what's out there. We need to behave like believers. We need to control our tongue, is basically what he's saying. And I'm going to read just one paragraph. We, we should specifically refuse to suppress opposing views with such underhanded tactics as ignoring contrary research or killing it through an abusive peer review process. Ruining other scientists' credibility or assassinating their characters by humiliating them in person. All that's going on right now. Uh, blogs or sham peer-reviewed papers, weaponizing our literature, engaging in name-calling, publicly denouncing or anathematizing them, disrespecting them at meetings, or bringing on professional exile by shunning them at conferences. From the many illustrations um, from Leslie Flynn's book, Great Church Fights, it's plain that there will always be Christians firmly convinced that engaging in shameful behavior to damage other Christians they disagree with is sanctioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not. And so we had to confess our sins. And this is just so, so cool, putting it in Solomon's terms. At ICR, we want to start with a clean slate. We regret and ask forgiveness for our August 2020 issue. So we had to clean house with the acts and facts. Uh, this issue um, in which we were condemning in our criticism of several fellow creation scientists, we misrepresented some of their positions and called them some names. That author of that article apologized for his words in letters to the editor. And we are truly sorry for the hurt we inflicted, and we are grieved that others have subsequently picked up on the name-calling in our article to aid in new denunciations. We will endeavor not to engage in those behaviors in the future. And I'm not trying to exonerate, you know, us. In fact, I, I just kind of opened up the closet to some of the skeletons. But what I'm saying is that these are words that are going to heal. Uh, when I was uh, in, um, at Grace Community Church last week, Dr. Abner Chow came up to me. You know, the first thing he said wasn't, you know, great to see you, Chaz. He said, I love this article. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Because some of the <laughs> professors at, um, at the Master's University were some of the targets that, that, that were addressed in this. And I'm, I'm not going to go into details because of what I learned in my <laughs> preparation for today. Suffice to say, what we can learn from all this is that words matter, right? And, and we have to control what we say. So whether it's personal or a, a, a creation organization, we always want to act and behave like we would um, being conformed to the Holy Spirit's desire for our lives individually and for our organizations. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, what a rich, rich focus. I mean, all of these, these themes are important, but uh, we recognize that uh, Solomon recognized the importance of a tamed tongue through a tamed heart. And Father, I pray that this would not be something that goes in one ear like my ear and out the other, but help me, Father, to, to really exemplify the things that I've revealed today, understanding that I'm just a student of your word too. And I make mistakes and I sin. 
and, and, and we all do, but may, may, may we be more and more conformed to, to your word and may we allow your Holy Spirit uh, to work through us so that um, we can be in that third group of people that bless and encourage and have sweet words. And, and, and when we have to rebuke, we rebuke. Because we need to, but it's done in humility and according to, to your word and the principles that um, are not legalistic, but principles that are found in your word so that we don't go beyond the word or we don't minimize the word in, in how we confront if we have to confront. Prepare our hearts now, Father, for worship. May we come into um, the worship center with, with giving hearts in our attitude, and, and, not, and not just merely uh, a bystanders, but may we engage in song, and, and may we meticulously take what's, what's, what's taught today as, as love is really the, the overriding motivation for us to want to apply these things in our life, to not only love you, but to love uh, our fellow man. And, and we thank you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.